What I'd like to say is that all of us experience trouble in our lives. I think that we only have to take a good look at our own lives and the lives of others to realize that bad things happen. I think if I could talk to each one of you, that you could tell me of things that have happened in your family. Somebody that's died, or some disease, or maybe a divorce. Many things. And even if we aren't having troubles at the present time, I think we can all agree that we will face trouble at some point in our lives. But what do we do? Like what resources do we have to deal with the troubles of our lives? And how do we come through it when even the most ardent faith is challenged? This is the voice of Mary Stauffer. She was a missionary who was kidnapped along with her daughter in 1980. And they were kept in a cupboard for 52 days before they managed to escape. Mary herself was abused daily for 52 days. And you've just heard her say these words, What resources do we have to deal with the troubles of our lives? Is Jesus enough? Or what about Immaculee Elibagiza? She's a Rwandan who spent 91 days in a bathroom that was three by four foot, essentially a meter by a meter and a bit. Not alone, but with seven other women for 91 days during the Rwandan genocide in 1994. Is Jesus enough? Or what about Corrie ten Boom? in Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany in 1944. Is Jesus enough? These are all Christian women who would have really put that question to the test. And the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians, and we're going to be looking at that very same question. Is Jesus enough? Not only in times of trial or in trouble, but just in our everyday lives. Is Jesus enough? While we are going to be working through the book book of Colossians, we are also going to be working through a daily devotional that we'd love to invite you to join in on. Um, It's an awesome way for us as a church really to be moving on the same journey and to be on the same page, even though we are all in different locations. And so you can download that devotional from Facebook or you'll get it in our weekly brochure. Um, But we'd love to invite you to join us and to do this together. Um, We're going to start today. The book of Colossians, we're going to start with chapter 1. It's a great place to start. It is such a beautiful picture of Christ. Um, Reading this chapter kind of feels a little bit like staring into the sun. It's it's blindingly powerful. Um, You kind of need to look away before you look back, and that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. We're going to be coming back to this chapter quite regularly. But we're going to read together Colossians chapter 1, and starting at verse 1. It says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So just to say that letter writing had a bit of a different format back then, they would start the letter with who it was from. So Paul, an apostle, and Timothy our brother, those are the authors, and then it goes on to say who the letter was to, to the brothers in Christ at Colossae. So that's who it was to, and then they would give a greeting, grace and peace, to you. And so that's kind of the introduction. We carry on at verse 3. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. We're going to go just that far today. There are quite a few complex sentences in there. Um, I'm a big fan of the full stop, <laughs> of the full stop. Um, you'll also know if you've ever received a text or an email from me that I'm also a big fan of the exclamation mark. Um, someone once told me that I live my life in exclamations. Um, but I really wish the translators here had used more full stops. Um, these sentences are so long and they, they can feel quite overwhelming to read. Um, but if you break it up, which we're going to do today, it is a powerful, powerful passage. These first verses in Colossians talk about the gospel, which is quite a common word in church circles. Um, what is the gospel? Well, it means good news. But what is it? I mean, essentially, the gospel is the essence of Christianity. It is the very core. And so it is pretty important that we understand it. And so today I want to hone in on five things about the gospel from these verses that we've looked at. Um, and we're going to flesh it out a little bit. And we're going to start by saying that the gospel is truth. So verse 5 speaks about these people having already heard about it in the word of truth, the gospel. We've got a guy in our life group, one of our friends, who often after he shares something, he'll end by saying, this is my truth. I just love it. This is my truth. You know, a word of truth, it, it means that there's information, there's content, but that it's factual. There's no dishonesty here. There's no hiddenness. That's, that's what our friend is saying. This is true, and I'm laying it all out here for you to see. And the gospel is a set of things that are true. There's no hiddenness. There's no dishonesty. These are things that there is a reason to believe. And Paul, who wrote this letter, Elsewhere, he writes this of the gospel, 1 Corinthians. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So he explains what the gospel is. He goes through the sequence of events. He speaks about the facts. But he tells us that it is of first importance. And what is that? I think first things of first importance, they're the most important facts of life. They are the answers to questions like, who am I? Why am I here? Who is God? And what is he like? Is there hope beyond the grave? Kind of questions like that. These questions of first importance. I wonder how you find answers to those kinds of questions. There's a course that's quite well known called the Alpha Course, which pretty much is where you can come together and answer these questions. Um, but the Alpha Course team, they asked a bunch of people, how do you come up with the answers to these life questions? And a lot of people said family members, you know, asking your gran or your friends. A lot of people said they would Google it or they would go to the Internet. This was one of my most interesting answers that I heard. This one guy said, well, first I Google it. 
Then I go on Wikipedia and I scroll through all the different answers and then I combine them and I make my own cornerstone. It's quite interesting, hey? I think quite a lot of people do that. But these are questions of first importance. We don't want to just make answers up. And so where do we find these sorts of answers? Well, Paul describes the gospel as the truth. The truth. He's saying that these big life questions, these questions of first importance, these are the questions that the gospel answers. Paul is not speaking about a philosophical truth. He's speaking about a factual, a factual truth. And by that I mean that the gospel is, in part, a record of history. There really was a man called Jesus who claimed to be the Christ. And he died for that reason. He was buried And then he appeared physically to many people who reported that he had been raised, resurrected from the dead. That is recorded in history. It's factual. We tend to think of the gospel as doctrine, not as history. But the gospel is, first of all, a reporting of history. There's plenty evidence about Jesus. Obviously, there's 27 New Testament documents that are compelling documents about the history of Jesus. Some people might think that they are a bit biased because they're written by Christians. But there are lots of ancient non-Christian historians as well who speak of Jesus. There's a, a Jewish historian, his name is Josephus, and he writes this. There was a wise man called Jesus who was known for his virtue. He had many followers amongst both Jews and Gentiles. He was executed by Pilate, but his followers claimed that he was resurrected. Perhaps this man was the Messiah. So my point is that Jesus really lived. He really died. He rose again. He fulfilled stacks of prophecies in the Old Testament. These are not claims of the faith. These are historical facts. First importance claims. The gospel is truth. I just want to pause here and say that you're, if you're not on the same wavelength as me on this one, I want to encourage you to do some research. Um, I don't have the time to do this justice today in this message, but go and watch some of the online Alpha stuff or ask somebody about it, um, but do some research. Don't just leave it here. The gospel is truth. Secondly, I want to say the gospel is joy. If you look at the rest of verse 5, it speaks of the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Look at the rest of verse 5. It speaks of the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Anything that causes faith and love to spring up inside of you is also a source of joy. The gospel is joy. The very word gospel, good news, is a Greek compound word that means joyous proclamation. It's like shouting with joy. Here's a question. Is there anyone listening today who mainly thinks of Christianity as a hard task? I think there's a common perception out there that you know, Christianity is a religion and like all religions, it requires denial and discipline. It means that we must reign in the passions and we must give ourselves over to a round of duties, to a moral grind, to hard work. That's the perception out there. If 
only I could get out from under the church, I'd be free and I could finally have some fun, you know. Have you felt that way ever? Maybe you feel that way today. Is that what Christianity is? Well, if you do feel like that, I can take a pretty educated guess as to what Paul would say to you. I think he would say that you're wrong about the very essence and core of Christianity. Whenever Paul speaks about the gospel, he uses words like hope and joy and peace and life, completeness. If you follow, up that, if you follow, follow that up with stories of people throughout history, anyone who has ever understood the gospel, anyone that the gospel has come to, the response is always joy. The gospel is news that brings joy. And so if when you think of Christianity, it brings that sense of negativity, it brings that sense of burden and grind and difficulty, hard work, then there's something that you've not understood or or have not heard. And that is that the gospel is not anything that you're meant to do. The gospel is news of what has already been done on your behalf. I want to repeat that. The gospel is not anything that you are meant to do. The gospel is news of what has already been done on your behalf. It's the kind of joy we feel when, when the South African team beats whoever it is. You know, we just sit there, we do nothing, but the victory is ours to enjoy. It's the kind of joy that a, that a child in a poor family would feel when their dad comes home one day and says, guess what, guys, we've won the lottery. You know, you didn't do anything. It was done for you, but you experience the rewards. The gospel is joy. There's nothing that we have to do. It's been done for us. What has been done? Well, that leads us to the next point, and that is that the gospel is grace. If you look carefully, the synonym in the first part of verse 6 for the gospel is the grace of God. So it says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it, the gospel, has been doing among you since the day you heard it. You heard the gospel and understood it. But it actually says, understood God's grace in all its truth. God's grace is a synonym for the gospel. And so there's more to it than this, but right at the heart of it, the gospel is God's grace. If you look at verse 5, here's part of the gospel too. Paul speaks of the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. You know what the word store is? It means it's saved for you. It's preserved. It's protected. What has been saved for you? Heaven, glory, a crown. That is what has been preserved and protected and saved for you. So what is grace? Well, grace is being given something that you don't deserve. We're all given this right up front. Before we've done a single thing, before we even have time to do one single good deed, all of this is saved for you. It's got nothing to do with what we can do. It's, it's all because of what Jesus has already done. So I, a few weeks ago, ran the Deloitte's Half Marathon. I was going to run the full marathon, but I downgraded to the half. Very wise move for me. Um... And anyway, I was writing because I had to go and, and collect my stuff. And I said, you know, I'm downgrading. How do I go about this? And they pretty much said to me, well, we've already printed everything out. So you just turn around at the right spot. Um, but if you are running for money, then you'll have to speak to someone at registration. 
if you're running for money. Clearly they didn't know who was on the other end of the email. That's absolutely hilarious that I would ever be running for prize money. You know how good you have to be to win a race like that. It's crazy. There was actually one part in the race where you, we, we turned around and so we were running in two directions on the same road for a few kilometers and so I saw a bunch of runners that I know quite well who are really good runners they were miles ahead of me um and yet they were only they only came in in like the top thousand somewhere top couple hundred um you have to be so good to win one of those races I want to say today that the message of the gospel is that heaven is not like money that's that's at the finish line that will be yours if you finish first it's not like prize money if you win the race, you know, if you're one of the best, if you run your race completely perfectly, there's no faults, there's no flaws, there's no falls, um, everything goes perfectly. You know, heaven is actually more like money that's in the bank. It's already yours. Before you even start the race. Now imagine if Deloitte had said to me, um, you know what, I'm just gonna, we're just going to put the prize money into your account. You know, a little email that says, Dear Debbie, thank you for entering. Please send us your bank details. We're going to put the money in your account. Hope the race goes well. P.S. We'll also give you a personal coach. That's what the gospel is. It's grace. Jesus won the race for you. We just have to enter and the prize money is ours. How amazing is that? God has accepted you. He has absolutely accepted you in Christ. You're accepted by God not because of your good deeds and not despite your bad deeds, but because of Christ's perfect life and sacrifice. I mean, this is the doctrine of grace. So often if you were to ask somebody, are you a Christian? If they were to give you an answer like, well, I'm trying to be one, or I don't really feel like I'm good enough yet to become a Christian, which are, are common answers. But if people answer that, you can know that their idea is that they have, they have to make themselves good enough to become a Christian, which is futile. We'll never be good enough. No one has ever been good enough. The essence of the Christian salvation is to say that Christ is good enough and I am in him. The point is that Jesus' work when it is believed and rested in, instantly changes our standing before God. That's grace. And the gospel is grace. So the gospel is truth. The gospel is joy. The gospel is grace. But there's more. The gospel is power. The gospel is power. Paul doesn't actually use the word power. Um, he explains the gospel as a seed. He says that the gospel, the word of truth, has come to you. And it's bearing fruit and it's growing. So the gospel has, having come to you, is more than just being explained to you. I think what Paul means here is it's come into you like a seed. It's, it's been planted in you and it's taken root. And now it's growing and it's starting to bear fruit. We see massive change here. And anything that has the ability to cause this kind of change is powerful. And so the gospel has power to make an internal character change and it also has the power to make an external world change. So firstly the internal character change. In Galatians 5 Paul lists what he calls the fruit of the spirit. So they're things like love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, those sorts of things. This gospel has power to bear fruit in our lives. I think a lot of Christians believe 
that I, I, come, I become a Christian by believing the gospel, but I grow as a Christian by diligently applying the Bible to my life. But if we look what it says in verse 6, it says the gospel has come to you, which is past tense, has come. It's bearing fruit and growing. That's present tense. So the gospel has a role in more than just your salvation. It has a role in your character too. These verses teach that I become a Christian by believing the gospel and I grow as a Christian by, drumroll please, believing the gospel more and more deeply. If you think about it, a grapevine doesn't produce grapes by willing itself to or by working really hard. It's the purpose for which it was planted. It's, it was planted to bear much fruit. Now, obviously, it is surrendered to the gardener. It has no other option. It's pruned and it's cut and it's tended. But the actual seed that was planted had everything in it. Everything that was going to become fruit and leaves and grapes, all of that, that power, once planted and tended, is released. And the gospel, once planted in you and tended, will not only save you, but it has the power to transform you. It's the gospel that is the source of all love, joy, peace. It's not the gospel that only saves you, but now you have to, through obedience and hard work, you have to advance yourself. I mean, of course, obedience is important. We need to surrender. That's obedience. We need to surrender to Jesus. But Jesus is referred to as the author and perfecter of our faith. What Jesus has done starts your faith, and perfects your faith. It's the gospel that brings you in and it's the gospel that sends you forward. The gospel is power. It's a seed. It, it is the power and the potential for all good works, character and fruit in your life. 2 Peter verse, chapter 1 verse 3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly, na- a godly life. Living a godly life, that's the fruit that comes out of us. And God has given us Everything we need to do this, the gospel that has been received freely, that's been given to us, will be all we need to bear fruit. The gospel is power to change us. The gospel is also power to change the world. That's that external change that I've been speaking about. Again, the gospel is a seed. If you read the book of Acts and you, and you track the spread of the seed, you've got Peter who proclaims the gospel and Stephen believes it and his life starts to change. And then Stephen proclaims the gospel and Paul hears it and eventually it takes root and he starts to change. And then Paul goes to Ephesus and he proclaims the gospel and Epaphras believes it. And Epaphras returns to his hometown in Colossae and proclaims it. And this brings us to the passage we're reading from. It says, you heard it in verse six. Many people believed it. You learned it from Epaphras. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. This gospel that we've received freely, that God has given to us, will be everything that we need to bear fruit, which is what it looks like to live a godly life. The gospel is power to change us. The gospel is also power to change the world. This external world change. The gospel is a seed. And if you read the book of Acts, you can track the spread of the seed. So Peter proclaims the gospel and Stephen believes it and his life starts to change. Stephen proclaims the gospel and Paul hears it 
And eventually, it takes root and he starts to change. And Paul goes to Ephesus and he proclaims the gospel. And a guy called Epaphras believes it. And he returns to his hometown, Colossae. And this is where we end up in verse 6. He proclaims the gospel and verse 6 says, You heard it. Many people believed. You learned it from Epaphras. You see the spread of the seed, the power. If you look at the history of the church, which we don't have time to do now, but in a nutshell, it is this. When the church loses sight of the gospel and its power, when they replace grace with the heresy of works, or when they lose their joy, they start to lose a lot of ground. The church shrinks. But when the church gets the gospel and they feel its joy and they feel its power, it becomes contagious. It grows in joy and power and and the seed of the gospel starts to spread and more people come to faith and that faith is transferred onto the next generation and there's new churches and new movements are started. The gospel is power. It's a seed that gives rise to fruit. It's a change on the inside and it's a change in the world. That's what it has the power to do. And it's been doing this for more than 2000 years. And the forest only gets bigger by the day. Today alone, stats tell us that about 70,000 people will start following Jesus. Today, that stat blows my mind. Today, there are something like 3.8 million churches. Talk about a power, talk about a fertile seed. And as long as the church can keep the gospel central, it will keep on being fruitful. And so how about you? Is the gospel central for you? Have you experienced its power in your life to bear fruit, to change your character? Have you experienced its power through your life to be able to to allow others and help others through you to come to know the power of the gospel themselves and to come to know Jesus Christ and his grace? The gospel is truth. The gospel is joy. The gospel is grace. The gospel is power. And one more thing, all through the whole chapter of of Colossians, this whole chapter we've been looking through, you'll see that Paul is saying, I proclaim the gospel, I bring the gospel. But when he gets to the very end of chapter one, he says this, verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. We proclaim him. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is not about Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's not a code of ethics. It's not a set of principles that we should live by. It is the magnificent person. The gospel is joy because Jesus is joy. The gospel is truth because Jesus is is truth. The gospel has power to change your life because Jesus changes your life. The gospel is Jesus. Other religions say things like, here's the way, but Jesus says, I'm the way. Other religions might say, here's the truth. Jesus says, I'm the truth. Other religions might say, this is what you need to do in order to be righteous. No, Jesus says, I am your righteousness. Jesus is 
the gospel. And to answer our question for today, Jesus is enough. Jesus is the gospel and Jesus is enough. If you want to understand the letter to the Colossians, and we're just starting that journey today. I mean, and mind you, if you want to understand the other letters, the letters to the Galatians, the letter to the Corinthians, this is what you need to understand. In each of these letters, the church has made a big mistake. They had added something after Jesus. So essentially, Jesus plus something equals enough. And it distorted their following of Jesus into a heresy. I have Jesus, but I also need some religious rituals. I have Jesus, but I also need some rigorous morality. I have Jesus, but I also need mystical spiritual experiences. And each time Paul comes back and he says, all of your problems come because of the plus something. Get rid of the plus something because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So what is your plus something? You know, maybe you're saying, I have Jesus, but I also need my reputation. Or I have Jesus, but I also need to have enough money in the bank just to feel secure. I have Jesus, but I also need, what is your plus something? The gospel is Jesus. There is nothing else. When you become a Christian, he becomes your righteousness. He is your holiness. He is your wisdom. That's the gospel, that he lived the life that you should have lived. And he died the death that you should have died. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Is that your experience? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus really enough? Right now, in the midst of COVID-19, Is Jesus enough? Is he enough to sustain you? Is he enough to fulfill you? Is he enough to steady you? Is he enough to give you peace? Is Jesus enough? And I want to say to you today that he is. Jesus really is enough. He is everything that you most deeply need. There is is nothing above him. There is nothing else to gain. The goal, the end, what it's all about, it's Jesus. Following Jesus, let me tell you, is not going to make you wealthy. It, It doesn't guarantee your health. We will have problems and we will face trials. And following Jesus doesn't take that away. But the message of the gospel, it's not that following him makes everything all right but that he is enough no matter what happens. The message of the gospel is that he is enough no matter what happens. He was enough for Mary Storfer. He was enough for Immaculee Elibagiza. He was enough for Corey Ten Boom. He was enough for Paul. He was enough for Timothy. He is enough for me and he is enough for you. And so today, if you need answers to the big life questions, look to Jesus. If you need joy, look to Jesus. If you need the power to change, look to Jesus. He is the gospel and he is enough. 
we're going to wrap up and I just want to give us a moment to reflect. Um, if you follow Jesus, um, let's maybe just take these moments to ask God, what are the plus somethings in my life? Show me the things that I've worked into the gospel and I've added to the gospel. And take some time just to repent of those and ask God for a way forward. Maybe you are watching today and you've never heard before that salvation is by grace and nothing else. If you're not yet following Jesus, what about starting today? We're going to, in this little moment to think, just put a prayer up on the screen. And right there in your home, you might want to pray this prayer. So let's take a moment to pause and to reflect. God, I want to thank you for the fact that you are enough in our circumstances, whether they are tough, whether they are joyful, you are enough. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that it's not actually about us, it's about you. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your power to work in and through us. Most of all, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can have a relationship with you, that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that you are enough. In Jesus' name, amen.